Hello and welcome to Stories of the Second World War. Before we get into today's episode and hear the story of Omaha Beach legend Ray Lambert, I would just like to encourage everyone listening to consider supporting the show by visiting our sponsor, Legacy Collectibles. Legacy Collectibles is a World War II firearms dealer that I personally trust and recommend for anyone who is fascinated by World War II and wants to own a piece of it for themselves. While they specialize in World War II German pistols, Legacy Collectibles has firearms from countries all over the world, all of which can be easily viewed on their user-friendly website at legacy-collectibles.com. In addition to their great website, if you're someone who enjoys learning about the history behind these weapons, check out the Legacy Collectibles YouTube channel for fascinating videos curated by historical weapons experts. If you're interested in World War II weaponry and would like to support the podcast, head over to legacy-collectibles.com or follow the link to their website and YouTube channel in the description of this episode. Today I'm joined by Jim DeFelice, a New York Times bestselling author who is known for his powerful portrayals of American military heroes. Jim co-authored Navy SEAL Chris Kyle's iconic memoir, American Sniper, which has now been made into an award-winning film. His new book, Every Man a Hero, a memoir of D-Day, the first wave at Omaha Beach, and a world at war, is our topic of discussion today. Jim, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me, Noah. I really appreciate it. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on, Jim. Your new book is the memoir of U.S. Army Staff Sergeant Ray Lambert, a decorated medic who risked his life to save the heroes of D-Day. Where does the story of Ray Lambert begin? How did he come to join the U.S. Army and eventually achieve the rank of Army Staff Sergeant? You know, Ray is uh, a really incredible guy. I mean, he's uh, 99 years old. Uh, although lately he's uh, he's been cheating a little bit on his age. Uh, I was talking to him the other day, and he was saying, "You know, I'm a hundred. And I said, yeah, "Ray, you're not a hundred until November, man. Stop, uh, stop pulling my leg. Don't be adding stuff." But he's uh, he's a great guy. He's got a, a heck of a sense of humor. And by the time he um, by the time he lands on Omaha Beach, seventy five. Well, it'll be seventy six years ago this year. He already had two silver stars. A lot of my books really are about, um, you know, they're about soldiers and, you know, what soldiers do, which is generally killing the enemy. In Ray's case, Ray's story really is about saving people. As he was a medic and he uh, ran a battalion of, of medics as a staff sergeant all through the war. Uh, but, you know, if you looked at where he started, he's just kind of a, you know, just a regular guy. Uh, he was a farm boy, uh, worked at uh, cutting timber, uh, and um, his most interesting job before the war, really, was as a veterinarian's helper. So he's out in uh, Alabama, and he was a young man, uh, 16, 17 years old, and at the time, during the Depression, and uh, the local county had a program to vaccinate uh, dogs farmer's dogs from rabies uh, at the time, which, you know, was kind of a, obviously a, a big problem, but, uh, you know, vaccinating dogs at the time was still kind of a new concept. 
And uh, some of the farmers didn't particularly like it because not only did they you know, want to protect their dogs from you know, getting a shot, which they might or might not be superstitious about, but also cost them 50 cents. You know, and, and during the Depression, that, that's a heck of a lot of money. And uh, so um, the veterinarian who had to administer the rabies shots hired Ray to help, to help him. And Ray, uh, Ray eventually took over the job, and uh, he um, would go out to, to farmers and get quite a varied reactions, so much so that he actually, that the veterinarian gave him a little pistol to, to have in his belt. Uh, not that he ever had to use it, but just the fact that it was there, I think, may have persuaded a farmer or two to part with that 50 cents and uh, to get their dog vaccinated, which, of course, would protect uh, not only the family, but also their livelihood. Because if the dog got rabies and, you know, perhaps bit a cow or something like that, the, you know, the entire farm might be lost. Well, you know, from that kind of uh, almost trivial job, um, Ray uh, Ray went on to a couple of different jobs, and then when the uh, right before the right before the U.S. joined the war, he was still he was kind of looking for something, uh, you know, for a better paying occupation. And he heard that the army was was uh, hiring, so he went down to his local recruiter, and um, not to give everything in the book away, but the the uh, recruiter asked him, you know, what would you like to do, and uh, Ray said, you know, Ray kind of hemmed and hawed. He wanted to be in the action. And the recruiter said, well, we'll put you in, uh, you know, we'll put you in the Air Corps as a mechanic because Ray, you know, being a farm boy, had a lot of experience with machinery. And Ray said, uh, well, no, I, I want to be in the where the action is. I want to do something important, which, of course, now he, he kind of looks it's a little embarrassed to have said that. But the the recruiter kind of took it in stride and said, hmm, well, I don't know. What what can you do? Well, what did you do before the war? And Ray kind of ticked off a few, or before coming to the Army, rather. And Ray ticked off a few things until he got to the veterinarian helper. And that a light went off in the recruiter's head. And he said, well, we're going to make you a medic. If you could deal with, uh, with rabid dogs, you certainly could deal with uh, some soldiers. They'll never bite you. And uh, so uh, Ray uh, Lambert became uh, a medic. Fascinating story. Well, what events led up to his deployment at Omaha Beach, the place where he famously stood before the eye of death to treat his fellow soldiers who had been wounded as a medic? Well, the amazing thing about Ray is that he was in uh, two other rather large invasions uh, in the European front uh, before he gets to Omaha. Uh, he landed uh, at uh, Operation Torch, which was in Africa. And that's the first really big landing, big invasion, seaborne invasion that the that the Americans have. And so he was actually saw a lot of action in Africa. Uh, among other things, he ran into a minefield there and uh, rescued a rescued a soldier who had stepped on a mine. And uh, I think he kind of just ran in there. At first, somewhat knowing that there was a minefield, but just reacting, and then he got there, uh, treated the man, and carried him out very carefully. This time, though, walking back in the the way he had come, uh, he sees so he sees action in Africa and Tunisia, where the Americans eventually uh, help kick the Germans out of Africa, and then he's involved in Operation Husky, which was the invasion of Sicily. And uh, it was quite a, um, 
that was actually quite a ferocious battle. Uh, we tend to forget about it. It tends to somewhat get lost, I guess, uh, kind of in the in the history of of the war. But um, it was uh, it's actually a, a very large operation, the largest to that point uh, seaborne invasion that certainly that the Americans and uh, totally the Allies had been involved in. And um, you know, Ray in the fighting there was involved again in some of the most the fiercest fighting. Uh, he um, among other things, he rescues uh, two men from uh, from a burning tank. Uh, even though his he had been with his doctor at the time, the surgeon, Italian surgeon, who told him, uh, who actually commanded him not to go into the into the the tank, and as a matter of fact, uh, said that he would court martial him if uh, Ray didn't stop. Uh, but of course, Ray didn't somehow didn't hear that part of the, the command and managed to get uh, the last two fellows out of the tank, um, but was warned. And while the, I don't know that the doctor, who was really a great guy and a hero uh, in his own right, I don't know that he really would have court-martialed uh, Ray at that point, but uh, he did uh, talk to him very sternly about not doing that ever again. Uh, so after the, um, after the battle in, in Sicily, uh, Ray and the rest of the first division uh, goes back uh, to eventually to uh, to Great Britain, and they get ready for for Omaha and D Day. Of course, they don't know that they're you know where exactly they're going to land until the last minute, but they were pretty much aware that uh, that they were going to be in the you know the heart of the battle. What did the initial moments of D Day bring for Ray Lambert? What happened in those initial hours beginning at 5 a.m. on June 6th, 1944? Well, it was hell. Um, the, if you've seen, um, you know, well, any of the movies really about, uh, about D-Day, um, there, you know, you, you can't even take, take the, the worst movie that, that you've seen and multiply that by, by 10,000. One of the things that uh, Ray was in um, the first wave, he was in the front of the landing craft, and as a matter of fact, he gets hit just as they just as they land. The, the ramp goes down. He starts toward the beach, and, and he gets hit, but he keeps going. Um, one of the things that he, the memory that he really has of, of that is how loud it was. As you had um, you had this tremendous bombardment coming from the ships offshore and at at the same time you had uh, the germans were firing everything from rifles to grenades to machine guns to you know artillery pieces and everything i mean it was just uh, it's just total chaos and just the totally uh, worst combat experience even worse than sicily and some of the a lot of the fighting on sicily had been very fierce uh, but it was um it was very, very, it's hard really to describe because it was so scrambled and so loud. And um, the first thing that he thinks is, okay, I got to get to the beach and then I could set up. And he gets to, uh, and just as he's getting to the beach, he starts rescuing uh, some of the uh, soldiers who had been hit in the water and uh, were being held down by the heavy equipment that they had. And he saved several people from drowning. When did you first become acquainted with the story of Ray Lambert? 
There are no doubt many American heroes whose bravery is worthy of our respect and admiration. But why did Ray's experience stand out to you? I was um, actually got uh, there in kind of an odd way. I, my publisher had been uh, bugging me or pushing me, I guess I should say, to, uh, to, to do a book on D-Day and that would coincide with the 75th anniversary. And um, I was actually working on something different and had spoken to a number of veterans of D-Day. There's not that many left. I mean, you know, as I said, Ray is 99 years old. Uh, he was 90, well, he's 97 when I first, when I first met him. And um, I was already working on a book. It was more kind of a survey type book. And actually, my, uh, my editor at uh, William Morrow or Harper, which is part of HarperCollins, uh, came across uh, kind of an old news story that had uh, spoken of Ray. And he said, hey, have you t- uh, talked to, have you talked to this guy? Because I had up to that point, um, I had spoken to uh, many of the, there's, you know, maybe a dozen people who had, um, who had survived that, uh, the first, you know, the first wave or the first day, I should say. And, um, you know, had not yet really kind of, kind of pulled the whole book together. And, um, so I, I contacted Ray and I have to say that, um, initially Ray did not want, Ray didn't want to, <laughs> Ray didn't want to talk to me or do a book. And, um, so eventually, um, over, over several weeks time, actually several months, um, you know, we, we talked about what, you know, about his experiences and about what, uh, you know, what a book might be. And, um, I traveled to, uh, he was being honored in France. Actually, there's a, on the beach today, if you go to Omaha beach now, uh, the Easy Red, which is a section or the sector where he landed, um, you see, if you go, you know, you may see horses, right? If you go really early about sunrise, you'll see horses, people riding horses across. And then later in the day, you'll see people sunbathing and maybe riding kites. And it will be the last place you would expect to have been, you know, a, a war-torn place. And there's, but there's one on that beach, there's one large rock. Let's see. And it's actually a piece of aggregate that had been left over from the from some of the uh, bunkers and the obstructions that the Germans were were putting together uh, in preparation for you know to to hold off the Allies if they invaded. And that rock, we'll call it a rock, uh, happens to be the one rock or the one place on uh, Easy Red that Ray and some other medics were able to take shelter and bring the wounded to. And what happened um, a year ago, or actually in, in before before the 75th, uh, so I guess it would have been um, in the year, it would be 74 years after D-Day, in the, in this, the fall of, uh, of that year, the uh, French dedicated that rock to Ray and to the men that had served with him and the medics that had served with him. And um, I went over uh, with, uh, actually not with Ray, I met Ray there uh, to be part of that ceremony and, um, and work on him to uh, possibly, you know, do a book. And uh, I have to say, one, one thing I have to say that the, the French people, to them, it's amazing how alive World War II is and how 
appreciative uh, they are of of the sacrifices that are you know that everyone made during World War II, but especially uh, to Americans and especially to people like Ray Lambert. I mean, it was like uh, it was really like traveling with a rock star. I mean, <laughs> everywhere we went, uh, you know, uh, people were just you know bending over backwards to uh, to give him you know just a hero's welcome and uh, you know it's kind of cool being in the shadow of that i I didn't get any free drinks but maybe next time (laughs) before we continue our conversation about omaha beach hero ray lambert i just wanted to share with you a quick message from our sponsor legacy collectibles on this podcast we talk about defining moments in battles that shaped the story of world war ii If you're someone who is deeply interested in the Second World War, Legacy Collectibles provides so many opportunities to own a piece of it for yourself. Do be sure to check out the easily accessible website, legacy-collectibles.com, after you finish listening to today's episode. What were Ray's combat experiences following his uh, instrumental role at D-Day? What happens during D-Day is he um, he gets hit three times. The most remarkable thing is the last the last time after he's actually he's, he's wounded, um, he's going back and he he finally after we're not exactly sure how long this was, um, but it would have been at least it was more than an hour because there were uh, had been several waves of landing craft by this point. Uh, and, um, he's just so exhausted and he's lost blood. Um, he's just spent basically. And he comes, comes onto the beach and he's actually not at that rock. He's actually out in the open and, um, he finds, uh, one of his very trusted medics, fellow medics. And he says, I I can't go on. I'm just, I'm done. I'm going to, just lay down. You take care. You have to. They, we, they still had not been able to establish a battalion, an aid station, and that was really uh, very important for them to do. And he, and he told his his corporal to, you know, to do that, to go on. And the corporal stood up and said, "I don't worry, Ray. I got it." And uh, as he rose, he the, he was shot through the head by a uh, by a German, probably a, a marksman or a sniper, but but someone. And fell right next to Ray, and um, you know, and I for for a lot of men, I think that would have been the total end, um, you know. And yet somehow, Ray managed to recover, possibly because he heard somebody yelling in the surf behind him who was drowning. So he kind of, with whatever strength he had left. He went back into the water and, and grabbed this guy, and they started and, and started in with him. And then, just as they're coming in, and they're still in water. By now, the water, the tide is coming up. The water, um, you know, the water is steadily rising on the beach, and uh, it was um, it was over his waist, somewhere in his che- you know chest, or maybe a little higher. And just as they're coming in, a landing craft came right behind them and dropped its ramp on Ray and the guy that he was saving. And they sent, they, you know, of course, knocking them to the, to the, uh, to the pit, what they called pebbles, was really kind of a rocky, you know, rocky beach there under, underwater. And Ray, that was the only time that Ray was sure he was going to die in the war. He, he knew he was dead. 
And um, depending on which time Ray tells the story, he either says a little prayer or he curses or he says, you know, a little bit of, you know, after 98 or I guess it's 75, 74, 75 years, it's, you know, your memory gets a little hazy as to what exact words you may or may not have mouthed. Um, but uh, something to the effect, or he at least thought something to the effect, you know, God, let me just save this one last guy. And then, you know, and then I know I'm done. And, um, you know, I don't know how you want to, whether you want to think of it as a miracle, coincidence or whatever, but for some reason, the ramp came back up and, uh, and all of a sudden Ray was able to kind of just pop up to the surface. And so he, he hauled uh, the guy in. And at that point he did, uh, he absolutely collapsed. And, um, the next thing he knows, he's on a uh, he's on a uh, a landing craft, a, a rather large landing craft used for used to bring tanks in, that had been repurposed uh, after the the vehicles were let off as a kind of as a hospital ferry. So it was bring um, it was on its way back to back to England, and that's where he regained consciousness. Well, Ray Lambert, as you mentioned, is now ninety nine years old and obviously partnered with you in the writing of this memoir. What was it like working with him to retell his remarkable story to a modern audience? Well, it was great. I mean, Ray's got, Ray, you know, it's funny. He's He's got a heck of a sense of humor. As I said, he's kidding around about his age uh, lately. Uh, he's got a lot of energy. We would, uh, we talked a lot and we, we would, uh, obviously we had, spent some time you know in france together and we talked a lot on the phone but a lot of the a a lot of the heart of the book the meat of the book uh, we did during um, some very long interview sessions uh at his house in north carolina and i would get there um uh, let's say eight somewhere in there um and then well Depending on the day, we would uh, often Ray Ray has kind of this group of of guys, some friends of his, who are older though not quite as old as he is at McDonald's. Uh, so we would often we would go uh, over to have coffee with the group with the guys for a while, and then we'd come back and work. So we'd be working by about no later than nine o'clock, and he would just pretty much just run me into the ground for the rest of the day. Uh, he just had, you know, just tremendous, tremendous uh, energy, and um, you know, we would just uh, talk and talk. Actually, you know, I pretty much listened. He he talked and talked, and uh, then at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we would, uh, when we were were done, generally around dinner time, we would stop and we would have uh, a generally a little drink of Calvados, which is the just kind of a, a an apple liqueur that's a specialty of um, of Normandy of the Normandy region that and some this was some pretty good stuff that uh, the people one of the villages where he was where he was honored had had given him and um, I, I you know I couldn't take more than you know half a shot of that stuff because it would really uh, it was really really potent so that was you know that's kind of how we topped off the day that's incredible. Well, you've worked very closely with Ray in establishing this memoir and getting it published. What would you encourage all of our listeners who are going to go out and buy a copy of Every Man a Hero to bear in mind about the legacy of Ray Lambert and really all of those 
noble men who died in defense of freedom on D-Day? I think the the one thing, one of the reasons that we titled, or the reason we titled it Every Man a Hero, is that every person that was on that beach, certainly that day, was a hero. And no matter what they did, just the fact that they were willing to sacrifice their lives uh, to help you know, to, to free a nation that, you know, they, for the most part, had very little connection with the French. Um, you know, that in and of itself, the, the enormity of that sacrifice and that decision, it, it, you know, is something that amazes me to this day. And beyond the people that were just on the beach, just the, I mean, the millions, literally millions of uh, mostly men, but also, you know, a, a sizable number of women who contributed uh, directly to directly and indirectly to the war effort, uh, whether they were in the Army, the Air Corps, the Marines, the Navy, uh, or whether they, you know, they were in the Merchant Marine and even people, in, you know, on kind of the home front uh, who were doing what they could, you know, to contribute to the war. And um, I think that that's the one thing that I take away from not just, you know, not just uh, from Ray's story, uh, or, but from, you know, the other tales, um, that, that I've read of, of the war. I mean, while we often were, we come to a, you know, account of World War II because of the action and the, you know, the, the daring doe and, and that sort of stuff. But behind all of those things, behind those, those, uh, those, you know, those moments of, of intense, maybe intense pain and then triumph. Uh, there's also all of these other people who are working together and getting things done. And I think that if we can kind of rekindle that spirit, you know, in our everyday lives, I think that not only will it benefit us, but, you know, it will help make our communities and, you know, better and our country better. No doubt. Well, Jim DeFelice, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you today, and I can only encourage all of our listeners to go out and find a copy of your book, Every Man a Hero, a memoir of D-Day, the first wave at Omaha Beach, and a world at war. Before I let you go, could you just tell everyone where they can find a copy of your new book? Well, you can get the hardcover edition of the book right now uh, at, at your favorite local bookstore or at Amazon.com. Barnes and Noble, uh, Books a Million, um, you know, and, and pretty much you can order it uh, from anywhere. The paperback uh, edition will be out in in June, and um, and I have another World War II book that will be coming out uh, in early May with another uh, actually D Day veteran as well, though he's a paratrooper named Hen- Henry Langraher. And uh, Henry has kind of the flip side of of the D-Day story. He, or the World War II story, I should say. He was a, a paratrooper. He um, he lands actually he lands in a uh, uh, in a sort of a, a hot house, really, or the glass kind of goes through a glass roof to near Saint Mary Eglise, and uh, fights for about a month, then is captured. So. His story kind of will take, kind of picks up in some ways, picks up where Ray's leaves off and then uh, continues uh, right up to VE days, becomes a prisoner of war and eventually escapes. And uh, what he had to do to survive is just incredible. Well, that's incredible. And I know we're all eagerly looking forward to that book. 
Jim, thank you so much again for joining me today. Thanks for having me on. Thank you all so much for listening today to Stories of the Second World War. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting platform and consider leaving a positive rating and review. Additionally, I would like to encourage everyone listening to support the show by visiting our sponsor, Legacy Collectibles. Legacy Collectibles is an antique World War II firearms dealer that I trust and is a must-checkout for anyone who listens to the podcast and wants to own a piece of World War II for themselves. While they specialize in World War II German pistols, Legacy Collectibles prides themselves in having a user-friendly website where you can browse a large array of authentic and original military firearms. If you're someone who's interested in learning more about World War II weaponry and have been pondering the idea of starting a collection, then check out the Legacy Collectibles YouTube channel for excellent videos about World War II weaponry curated by historical weapons specialists. If you'd like to support this podcast, head over to legacy-collectibles.com or follow the link in the description of this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to join us here again next week.